Welcome to the Artisan Situation Podcast. Over the last couple centuries, the planet has seen a massive loss in biodiversity. Much of this is born from the monoculture way of thinking that has taken over our agricultural acreage, like the soybeans and corn crops covering much of the country's fertile lands. Over the last couple years, some farmers have recognized the need to bring biodiversity back to our agricultural system. New crops like the versatile hemp plant not only bring biodiversity back to the environment, but help make farms more sustainable, adaptive, and economically viable in highly variable marketplaces and climates. When we change agriculture and land use, we can't forget that it plays a major role in culture, government, philosophy, and economics. This complexity becomes clearer when we examine the world of hemp. In the mid-1900s, hemp was seen as the illegal brother to marijuana. Derived from similar genetics and therefore from a similar plant, people have degraded hemp and ultimately outlawed it during the cultural movement called reefer madness in the 1930s and 40s. Outside of this cultural stigma, hemp is a versatile crop that packs a powerful protein punch, akin to a flaxseed or a chia seed, while also providing strong stalk products that can be used for rope or parachutes. Although not scientifically confirmed, hemp also contains CBD, a compound that is known to play a major role in the treatment of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and dementia. Hemp is scientifically proven to be non-psychedelic, yet it is still outlawed nationally, even considered a drug in many parts of the country because of this cultural stigma. Only recently have states gained the right to grow this crop for research purposes. At the forefront of this legalization effort is Kentucky. Hemp used to be a major cash crop for the state, and some politicians, farmers, and entrepreneurs are working to bring the crop back. While driving through the rolling hills of Kentucky, I was recommended to meet Chad Rosen, owner and operator of Victory Hemp Foods. Known by many as the hemp guy around town, Chad is working to create the largest hemp processing facility in the country that could help catapult the hemp industry into full gear. Chad has his head on a swivel, working with politicians, farmers, retailers, and manufacturers to create the ideal environment for the industry to have a sustainable future. Join us at the table as Chad explains to us what he is doing and why hemp is so important. This is Chad Rosen of Victory Hemp Foods. So yeah, man, you feel good? You ready to talk about stuff? <laughs> yeah, what, what's, what's, what's on the agenda? Um, do you really or are you so, just gonna make them up <laughs> no, dude, I, this morning i i woke up i read all about you man oh really yeah i did my research okay all right Look at this i got well, i got all this kind of stuff all right, great <laughs> killer man yeah dude you like my setup though mobile i love it i i'm all about <laughs> i'm all about being mobile i'm yeah. all about distributed supply chains i'm all about getting out there cool So yeah, you want to introduce yourself to the world sure. and uh, sure, are we recording? Yeah, we're we're live. Okay, we're great. going now. 
Um, so yeah, so I'm Chad Rosen. Uh, I'm the owner and founder of Victory Hemp Foods based in uh, Kentucky, based awesome. in the Ohio Valley of, uh, of Kentucky. And I mean, I guess the, the major thing we were, we were just discussing this about a minute ago was that, you know, Kentucky was home to the hemp industry previously and uh yeah it seemed like a it seems like a community that, that is interested and could could find a need in hemp yeah um is that why you chose this location to yeah. kind of well, get started I, yeah 100 percent. i you know when i started i was actually in oregon when i when i got the bug to get into hemp i started peeling back the layers of the onion around hemp and um i i said well i'm from california right so i wanted to be on the west coast closer to family uh, closer to the coast and I, uh, closer to mountains and <laughs> a lot of things that I like to be around. <laughs> and, uh, I was in Oregon and I saw how legislation was kind of evolving there. And it, it just seemed like it was, um, it wasn't really, it was, it was driven by advocacy. Um, and that can only go so far if politicians aren't in line and, um, the advocacy was coming from a small but vocal group, which is great and important. But here in Kentucky, it was coming from a different place of demand and necessity. Uh, Kentucky, when they had the tobacco buyouts, has been struggling to get back on its feet as an economy um, with the coal industry dying. You know, tobacco and coal were two really big profit centers for this state. Um, and there's very limited opportunities for rural um, communities to kind of earn an income. Mm -hmm. So when the opportunity for hemp came around, it was driven by politicians who are trying to basically feed their constituents, give them another kind of arrow in their quiver. Um, mm -hmm. And for all the reasons that hemp is and all the reasons that hemp isn't, uh, it gained a lot of traction, um, and I would say much of that was driven out of the historical legacy of empires being built and fortunes being made in you know the 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 30s and before um, in the 1800s on industrial hemp that was prolifically grown here. It used to be one of the staple cash crops in in Kentucky. So politicians and farmers and you know everyone knew. Uh, a lot about hemp, which is, you know, is kind of ironic. I would be standing up in, you know, Henry County on the, the courthouse steps during Hemp History Week with my table of all my hemp products, kind of getting people to sign bills that we could send to senators to support, you know, hemp legislation in the Farm Bill in 7606. And um, I'd have so many old folks that would come up and be like, my, my granddaddy, he grew hemp. I know all about it. Now, we didn't grow the stuff that get you high, but we used to grow some of that too. You know, and like <laughs> they knew the difference. Uh -huh. And so um, there was just uh, a really um, deep kind of knowledge base of, of what the crop was. And... Um, and so yeah, so so that's 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 why I, I I eventually moved to Kentucky. I just saw with you know what Commissioner Comer was doing and Rand Paul and um, Mitch McConnell and regardless of what side of the fence you sit on and what you agree with them on, I think that we all kind of silo into you know a couple issues that we feel strongly about and um, and for those reasons, I said hey, this is you know this is this is a great place to to build this you know this business and there's you know there's there's a lot there's a big industry in hemp it has the potential to grow a lot bigger um 
you know, there's a lot of question marks about where it's going to go. But if we're going to be in a place that does evolve um, and supports a, building a, a business like this, it's going to be important to be surrounded by people that kind of understand what the potential is and what it's about. So let's peel that onion back. Let's yeah. let's talk more about hemp because I know the 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 complication behind it and what is the biggest you know the biggest issue in terms of stigma and perception is sure. this reefer madness yeah. idea yeah. that um, <laughs> you know people think that hemp is the same plant as marijuana and, and then that's the complication here. But can you dive a little deeper on that? Sure. And describe it. All more? right. So for our PSA, yeah, public service <laughs> yeah, announcement. Right. So. Um, so it, it's all part of the same family called cannabis sativa, industrial mm -hmm. hemp and marijuana, just like all dogs or canines. You have your gray wolves and you have your chihuahuas, uh, and they have very different phenotypical traits. The dogs do just like the canines do just like the plant cannabis sativa does where a gray wolf has long, sharp fangs and a chihuahua is kind of loud and yappy and annoying. Right. Those are phenotypical <laughs> traits, so to, so to speak. Um, and uh, and I'm regurgitating an example that we use in the hemp industry. And I think it's important that we're all kind of on point because um, these 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 ways to explain it make make sense, seem to make sense to people. Um, so cannabis is separated into industrial hemp and marijuana based on this phenotypical trait um, that the government has identified saying that if it has, and we're just looking at one molecule, that THC molecule, tetrahydrocannabinol, and if it has less than 0.3% THC, it's industrial hemp. If it has more, then it's marijuana, right? Um, so they can look the same, smell the same, taste the same, smoke the same, but with the lack of THC, it doesn't have the same effect on, um, on, on, yeah, your, your, your hunger Mental, quotient. Yeah. yeah. Bodily function. Exactly. <laughs> right. Your great thing. idea quotient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, yeah. And you, and the CBD, the cannabinoid part, mm -hmm. right, is, is very valuable in terms of a nutrition and, and other things. Shoot. Like that. Yeah. I, that's, it, it, I mean, there's so much, uh, so much excitement about CBD, um, it is what we would call, like I call THC a molecule, CBD is a molecule, and all those molecules in the cannabis plant are called cannabinoids. So CBD cannabidiol is one of those that has profound effects. Um, uh, and, you know, really it's anecdotal evidence at this point um, uh, because whatever nefarious beings don't want to uh, release kind of the studies or fund um, studies uh, and, and blind trials to show the efficacy of the treatments that, that CBD and the effect CBD can have on um, certain ailments. But uh, the, the amount of, um, and, and I'm not advocating for, for use of CBD, but the amount of uh, anecdotal evidence is just overwhelming. You can't go very far without uh, hearing a story about someone's life being, um, being improved um, through the use of CBD. So it's a non-psychotropic molecule that treats, um, everything from epilepsy to, uh, to, I, I won't even get into the conditions it treats there. There's a myriad of them. Um, I focus on the food, right? So like, I don't mess with the CBD. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just not my business for, I don't, I don't have a dog in the fight. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's an incredible part of the plant that, you know, we're, 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 um, fully coming into understanding and certainly there's enormous amounts of the economy in the industry of industrial hemp are being developed in the the cbd world and then you know so 
your process that you're doing here is um, working to get that heart as a part of the this uh, this the seed, correct? And then you also have the seed and other. Can you describe more about yeah, sure. the different parts of hemp that you are using for food? Yeah. So for us, we just focus on the grain. So just like your corn or soy, not like you know different, but same, 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 but different, right? So uh, it's just it's the grain. It's uh, it, it 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 basically we grow it. Um, uh, for the grain and we combine it with, um, like your typical soy head combine, um, auger header. And we take that grain and we do one of, and we get one of three products. Essentially we, um, run it through after cleaning it, we run it through a dehuller, right? So we're basically separating the shells from the germ, which is affectionately known as the heart. Um, and it contains, you know, 30% protein. It's got the ideal ratio of omega-6 to omega-3s. It's got some fiber. It's got this amazing protein characteristic, all nine essential amino acids. L-arginine is one of those amino acids, which is terrific for um, building big, strong muscles. <laughs> um, and then it has, uh, and then uh, and then we take the, the a different seed and we run it through our oil press. And that oil press um, gives us oil, which again has that ideal ratio of omega six to omega threes, um, and it gives us a protein or like a seed cake, which we sift into protein powder. So like mm. you can add it to your smoothies, or you can even bake with it. And we have some pastas that we're replacing one third of regular wheat flour with uh, with protein powder, hemp protein powder, um, to give us a kind of higher protein um, pasta. So yeah, so 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 those are the, the three basic building blocks, so to speak of hemp foods would be um, the germ, the hearts, mm -hmm. uh, the oil, and then the protein powder. And so from there, you can take it into a number of different products. You can make protein bars, you can make pastas, you can make butters, you can make milk, you can, dressings, you, myriad, anything. It's an ingredient. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you can apply it in a lot of different ways. And I think um, something that's interesting to think about is, is how beneficial this is for the farmer correct because um you know let's say that the economy shifts and suddenly there's interest in something else hemp can provide a lot of different types of variety in the marketplace for consumers and that kind of fits different molds is that something that totally. you see yeah I, I that's that's what's so exciting about it is it's such a diverse plant i was i was just reading an article rereading an article recently in the bitter southerner um there's a, a absolutely terrific article that talks about the Kentucky um, hemp industry uh, that the Bitter Southerner produced like two years ago. And someone referred to the hemp plant as like the Swiss army knife of ag, right? And it is, it, it, it's like, you know, we, we're, we're in this plant right now doing um, this podcast and you have a manufacturer um, that, that, that separates the herd from the fiber and, you know, and, and is replacing um, glass fiber and other industrial applications with natural fibers. And then on the other side of it, you have a hemp food manufacturer, right? So there's two very separate, distinct parts of the plant and two very different, distinct um, industries that we go into. And then you talk about CBD. So uh, the, I think it's, 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 you know, from, from my viewpoint, uh, com commodity ag is really, um, commodity ag farmers or farming in general is, 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 is really, um, susceptible to volatility in the markets. Um, and when we have a crop that out of the same plant has a bunch of different markets, um, you would theoretically be able to reduce that volatility, 
um, by having some stability in all the different in in the versatility of it, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. like look, let's look at the financial markets and let's look at um, you know four hundred one k plans, right? You you talk about balancing your portfolio. If you can do that with one plant and have a bunch of different markets that you go into, well, great. I, I think that that that's kind of the need and, and what we're looking for. And we talk about you know Joel Solitin's Poly Farm, right? He's mm-hmm. talking about like many facets, a, a farm that has many faces that can do lots of things. Um, and this is one crop that can do lots and lots of things where if the CBD market, you know, takes a nosedive on the price, well, you still have grain that you can still sell and you can still recover, recoup some of that cost with the fiber. Um, so I, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that it's the, the be all end all, um, but it does hold some theoretical potential to be able to um, offer uh, farmers a diverse um, income stream from, from that one plant. So, yeah, so, so we see it as, 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 as potentially being able to play a, a significant role in commodity ag. And even for some smaller farmers, it can, it can, it can have impact at um, having those really high, you know, uh, values per, per acre. Mm-hmm. And so right now you currently are fitting into the role of like that, that part of the supply chain from the farmer to the consumer. Um, and you're processing these raw ingredients mm-hmm. and turning them into all these different things. And you're currently selling these at farmer's markets and local stores. Is that, is that yeah. kind of what you're, you're doing at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we sell to end users, um, you know, consumers who want to sprinkle it on their salad or make a salad dressing or whatever. Um, and we reach them through farmer's markets, which is terrific because we get like to get the feedback from customers. We get really familiar with, you know, how we position our product and our brand. Um, and then we also sell our products through natural food retailers like the Rainbow Blossom, who's local in town, the Good Foods Co-op, who's over in Lexington. Um, Whole Foods is, knock on wood, going to um, start carrying our product next month. Um, Kroger is uh, interested in, in picking us up in, in some of their stores. Um, and then, so so we have a retail approach, but then we also sell a lot of bulk uh, ingredients, which is you know an enormous opportunity for not only us, but for all these other food manufacturers who want to, um, who, who want to, you know, fortify the ingredients or the, the the nutritional value of their products right so we're working with a lady who does nut butters we're working with um a local beef farmer who's making hemp dogs which is like they were i mean that was like the endless hit of the summer at the kentucky state fair i mean he like he sold more hemp dogs than they sold fried twinkies at the kentucky state fair it was like I mean, it was like an eclipse that's crazy um yeah we're working with brewers who are adding it to their grain batches we're working with a pasta guy who's at you know so there's all sorts of different bulk opportunities um for us to us to us to sell these 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 building block uh, ingredients into it just seems like you're you're still you know uncovering even more uh, options to use it for. It's just it's still like exploding in your mind. I, I mean, Completely. imagine your mind is racing right Completely. now. Completely. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah, it, it's it's definitely like yeah, it's it's an elephant, and we just got to eat it one bite at a time. <laughs> and tell me more about your background. Kind of what what got you into into sure. hemp? I mean, um, you said you're from the West Coast, and you know, what What went through your mind to just become an entrepreneur and, and start a business and, and go for hemp? I mean, what got you going? Yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, I, I was, I, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur from, 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 from go, right? Like, I was the, the kid who would, who would hustle from door to door, um, you know, in, in second grade selling chocolates so I could win <laughs> a baseball mitt or a free tent, right? And so, like, so... 
Um, so I, I love, I, I've always kind of been drawn towards entrepreneurship. Um, but uh, I think that the, the aha moment for me with industrial hemp was, well, I had, my background is, is, is kind of myriad, but I was, I was uh, working with a company called Vitrazo. Um, I did that for eight years. We manufactured countertops out of recycled glass. It really gave me kind of a, and this was, and we launched the company right when um, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth was coming out. And so mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that like whole time, we were surrounded by um, sustainable kind of mentality and green building. And we used to all go to all the green build shows. And so um, it gave me kind of a soapbox to stand on and talk about, you know, why it's important that we reduce our carbon footprint and use mm -hmm. recycled materials. And so thinking about this circular economy kind of yeah, totally. motion. Yeah. Um, you know, just improving our waste streams and reutilizing um, our resources, right? So I, um, I did that for eight years. Um, and when that project kind of came to an end, you can only sell recycled glass countertops for so long before you're like, well, what's next? Um, and the what's next for me was happening around the time that uh, I read this book called, um, I read this book called, What Should I Do With My Life? A Paul Bronson. It's a really good book. I should check that out. You huh? should check it out, right? You're 26. Perfect. You're going through the quarter life crisis yeah. right on the yeah, other side of it. Time. So I read it about your age. And one of the things that struck me was he was like, you know, there's certain people out there that are boom wranglers, right? And they're always looking at where is the market or what's, what's booming right now? What's going to be booming? Um, and what was happening with cannabis, uh, three years ago was like, you know, just crazy. All these States were having reforms on cannabis laws. Um, and for me, uh, I didn't necessarily want to get involved in the marijuana side as much as I wanted to get involved in, you know, something that had some industrial applications because I had a manufacturing background having worked with Vitrazo for so long. Um, and so when I saw what was happening with industrial hemp and how we passed uh, 7606 in 2014, I said, this is an ideal space for someone who's got an entrepreneurial spirit to jump in and um, and help build the domestic supply chain because it's, you know, especially on the food side of things, because the the um, incumbent, you know, food companies aren't going to roll up their sleeves or get involved in cannabis legislation because it's still in a research phase. So you're not going to see your General Mills and your Kraft and your mm -hmm. Conagra and any of these guys, you know, Cargill foray into this space based on the fact that it's still a controlled substance, right? So um, that creates this kind of bubble for uh, entrepreneurs to get their feet under them and figure out, you know, the uh, take take the lumps. Um, and, and kind of build the industry. And I think that's what's really exciting about it is we're able to build it on our terms, right? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we can, you know, we can theoretically bring it into the supply chain and make sure that, you know, we're, we're growing according to organic protocol and, um, and, 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 and really kind of control the, the dialogue of what we're tr intending to do with it. So, so yeah, so that's kind of how I got drawn into to the hemp world. It seems like you're preemptively getting it ready for that demand to just hit, right? I mean, and and I mean, it's probably it's already there, probably that demand, right? But yeah, um, you're kind of you're you're about to you know fill that gap that that needs to happen. I feel like I'm noticing that in the beer industry is like you know all these local malsters and all these local hop farmers are like you know I need some way to process all the stuff that I'm growing. Yeah, how am I going to do it all? Yeah. and they're starting to look at each other like, well, we have all this stuff now. What are we going to do? It seems like you're trying to 
get up ahead of that um, to like make sure that you're prepared for when you know everyone's looking at each other like I have all this hemp you know or are you driving it more from like pushing these farmers to kind of start utilizing it Is yeah it coming from both ends yeah I think I think that's the important I think that's the really I think that's a good point um, well I think it's a good point to bring up um, how do we build the industry and I think that it's really important that we build the demand and the supply at the same time right because if it, it be, and, and, and it'll always ebb and flow you're you know the demand's going to get out ahead of supply supply's going to get out ahead of demand and we're going to find that homeostasis uh, or that balance that really enables us to have uh, uh, non-volatile industry and that's what we want to avoid we want to avoid um, we, we want to avoid having um, too much grain on the market so that the price gets depressed. We want to avoid not having enough grain on the market, so, you know, so that prices shoot up and consumers steer away from it, right? So, you know, the chia industry kind of really suffered that uh, supply, demand, oversupply, under, you know, demand, circle, cycle that... Um, we, 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 we do want to avoid, and, and I think that that's a balancing act. And, um, you know, I, I think that we have to, to work on it on both ends. I don't think there's nearly enough processors, you know, coming online, you know, we're, I, like I said, you know, we're one of the only domestic, uh, hemp food processors in the United States that, you know, have a dehuller, right. And I mean, there's, there's a couple out there, maybe I think one other one in Colorado, that's, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's worrisome in the sense that we have farmers that are growing for grain not only in Kentucky not only in Colorado but in Oregon and Washington um, North Carolina and Vermont New York it's just it's 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 happening everywhere and um, we need to we need to, we need to build the market as well as you know have processors and you know have that supply chain so you know it, it's all got to come up together is the point mm -hmm. I guess you're still you know it's uh, it's exciting time, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy for sure, for <laughs> sure. Um, so you know, you're you're just talking about this, you know. So it's still in this area of controlled substance, correct? Is that mm -hmm. on a national level? Yeah. And how? So the state of Kentucky has embraced it and is now helping, you know, allowing you to like start to do this. Is like how much of a challenge is it to wake up every day and you're you know there's still like this pushback in in by on a national level for this type of product um I'm trying to like you know how do we dive into the fact that like you know this substance is still considered nationally an issue but like how are you how are you <laughs> filling that gap like, i mean that's the it's just education and advocacy right preaching, so preaching like, the yeah i think you know just like I, I, I always say like half of what we do is educate and advocate, right? And going out to the Kentucky State Fair, we had a booth for 11 days and, you know, we sampled hemp hearts and people were like, whoa, this doesn't taste like pot. You know, after all the jokes have subsided and everyone's like, <laughs> all right, let me try this stuff and promise I'm not going to fail a drug test. You promise <laughs> You know, you promise I can drive home. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At least there's still jokes, right? Yeah, <laughs> At least you can joke about it. Right? I mean, yeah, totally. We can totally joke about it. And I, people love to joke about it, you know. They, so, um, you know, we, we roll with that and, and, and getting them to try it and then getting them to understand. And then they try it and they maybe they bring some home and they go, oh, I didn't get high. And I ate that whole bag. And now I'm going to share it with my friends and family or whatever. And, you know, I, I think you, you win this battle, you know, uh, day by day and, and, and individual by individual. I think, um, 
you know, there, there is a stigma, uh, there is an association. I think the, um, the, the knowledge base is growing. Um, and we certainly are, are very sensitive to, you know, the, 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 the mom or dad who's shopping for, you know, their four-year-old's breakfast cereal or whatever it is, um, not to have a big pot leaf on our packaging, you know, which might connotate, you know, that they're a bad parent. You know, mm-hmm. there's like this element of shame out there that people associate drug use with um, and, and think it's a bad thing. And so we just want to avoid that kind of uh, topic altogether. And so we're very sensitive about how we... Um, how we promote our products and how we position them in the marketplace to, mm-hmm. to let them know it's just a food, right? It's just it, at the end of the day, it's a food, it's a plant. Um, and get rid of your stigmas. We're not going to bring them up. We're not going to remind you of those stigmas. Mm-hmm. And and something that I'm, I'm thinking about too from a farming perspective is how valuable is it of a crop for the rotation within a, you know a farm ecosystem? I mean, we, you sort of touched on it earlier, but you know, it seems like it plays this role as, you know, not only a cash crop for some of these farmers, but it can also play a role in a rotation and an energy cycle for the farm. Do you do you have any background or understanding in that? that yeah, can... sure. I mean, it, it leaves a lot of uh, biomass behind as it drops leaves. So um, it, it's definitely returning some organic matter to the soil as it grows. Um, we're not able to, and you know, this is this is kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth we don't use pesticides but we're also not allowed to use pesticides because usd hasn't approved any Um, but we wouldn't anyways right so so that's kind of good to know is that if you can get up on top of the weeds with a canopy you're not going to have any need for pesticides it does um, need to follow um, a, a heavy nitrogen fixer so like fava beans or soy are really it's it's really good to follow either of those mm-hmm. um, you know there are no GMOs which is nice so uh, there's no GM um, hemp at this point um, but yeah I think that it, it's 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 a great replacement for corn it's another tool in the tool tool belt it does need to be um, brought into a rotation because it is a heavy user of nitrogen. Mm-hmm. But it's it seems like it's just it's yeah it, it replaces that that kind of tobacco in a, in a lot of ways it seems like and and not just from a you know an, an agricultural perspective but a, an economic perspective as well. And well, that, yeah, that's so. I mean, let's let's talk about tobacco for just a sec. Yeah, the, the this you know we are in the nine state burley tobacco belt chain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, th- this was. Uh, the epicenter of it, um, the Burley Tobacco Growers Co-op, um, which was you know developed in part by the guy who owned the Louisville Courier Journal, um, saw tobacco farmers being um, you know going through economic um, cycles that really kind of devastated their farm. They had no consistent pricing, so they developed this Burley Tobacco Growers Co-op, um, and you know they had two 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 uh, pools um, that it went through the new pool and the old pool and it lifted thousands and thousands of farmers out of poverty kentucky boasts the most amount of small farms but it also boasts the highest number of um, of uh, declining family farms right so there's more and more farms are going away and that's because they don't have that income from tobacco uh, is a high value crop and you could earn a decent amount from a small amount of acreage you don't have to go even that far back and talk about what they were earning in the 70s where the yields were even lower on tobacco they were earning 
um, up to $7,000 an acre in the 70s um, growing, I know, growing tobacco. And the price of, now think about that, com compounded with the price of labor and the price and fuel prices, diesel prices. So they were able, their net was just enormously different than it is today. Um, and that 7,000 an acres and that higher net really enabled, uh, you know, a lot of people to stay on their land and enabled them to not have to grow enormous acreage, which they have to do with corner soy, where maybe they'll net, you know, a couple hundred dollars, if that, on, on corner soy. So it, it's completely changed the landscape of um, what farms look like in Kentucky today. They're just getting bigger and bigger. And that, you know, that goes for for uh, across the country mm -hmm. and i'm trying to figure out how to so you know w were you always interested in like keeping these farm communities like are you inherently you you know do you love you love living in kentucky and being around the farms and and is that something that you've like paid attention to or is or is it more of like you grew up in nature and and that's played a role in your thoughts about sustainability how did you kind of be become educated with about sustainability and and kind of local yeah i mean you know I, I read a couple books in college and you know i'm definitely a nature lover um i i think that you know i i've always kind of been drawn to um what sustainability looks like and i i think i, I i've traveled a lot my mom was a flight attendant so when she couldn't find she was a single mother who was a flight attendant and i uh when we couldn't find a babysitter you know i would my babysitters would become the flight attendants and coach, right? And <laughs> she dragged me around the, the, the world. Um, and so I, I, I kind of have a unique perspective on, um, you know, I've traveled to a lot of third world countries and seen what the impact is um, of our economy here in the United States. And we don't see a lot of that. And then, you know, I got back to the United States and, um, and you start to see how our rural communities are just kind of devastated in so many different areas, especially here in the Ohio River Valley with manufacturing leaving, but then a lot of these farm economies as well. And that's, you know, again, the result of uh, lost tobacco income. Um, and, but there's enormous wealth happening um, in, you know, on the coast and in major corporations. And it's, it, it's just not, there's, there isn't, there's a lack of balance to all of this. And I think that that uh, predicates a lot of the problems that these rural economies are having. And I think it also leads to um, uh, general strife and uh, amongst uh, amongst the, 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 the rural and, um, and urban centers. And I think that's really a bad thing that, you know, hemp might be able to help bridge that. I think, uh, you know, supporting rural uh, economies and rural agriculture by the urban communities is a really uh, overlooked solution that we can all kind of play a part in um, buying local and asking where your food comes from knowing your farmer um, and hopefully uh, having some kind of industrial uh, agriculture that 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 helps to um, bridge that gap even further is is really where I see kind of an opportunity to have an impact in 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 some of the, the the crazy things that are happening in our country today yeah i feel like it's you know it, it doesn't just help out the farmer but it brings a lot of other people here it brings like engineers to think about how these things work it brings you know manufacturing minds together to really think about how those things work together it brings you know marketing people and sales people and totally. you know suddenly 
there's a, there's a lot more than just, you know, we're worried about just the farmer's job. We're worried about, you know, it's yeah. a whole, you know, there's an ecosystem. It's an ecosystem. Yeah. It's I mean, all up, working together. We have, we have, we have a company called the uh, eminent speaker up in Henry County. Um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, that's one of the, the bastions of manufacturing in, in Henry County, uh, now and, and, and who knows what it is tomorrow, you know, but I think that it would do really great if it was an agricultural, um, company that was using, um, that was, that was helping to leverage crops that were grown in that county to find markets for them, right? I think that that's a great place for rural economies, a gr great way for rural economies to develop is taking advantage of the land and the farmers that are producing crops as opposed to, you know, shipping GMs across the world for mm -hmm. feedlots, who knows, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's, it seems like something that we probably should have figured out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, no, no, no better time to start than yeah, now. Yeah, that's what everyone says, right? <laughs> and are you, um, you know, are you working with universities, local universities, to help do some of this research? Because yeah. there's definitely, like, a research end to For this, sure. right? You want to show how much omegas and, you know, these fatty acids, these proteins are coming through. And, Absolutely. And the efficiencies that you're getting. Correct? Yeah. So I think that's one of the great things about Kentucky is we have eight universities participating in the research. Um, and that was that that was really kind of driven by the farm bill the farm bill said that uh the only people that have the permit or the only entities that have a permit to grow industrial hemp this controlled substance are universities and um, departments of agriculture and departments of agriculture can let private citizens grow it with a memorandum of understanding under someone else's permit on under one of these entities permits so that's how you have private farmers um, growing so back to universities yeah we have eight universities that are participating in research programs and it's critical because you know corn and soy and other crops have had years and years and years of experimentation in the laboratories um, finding ways to make them uh, grow stronger bigger better finding ways to uh, manipulate them for different new markets i mean corn is used as um as, as a citric acid now i mean it's obviously in our fuel system it's 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 just everywhere and, and hemp has been you know locked in a cage essentially um not uh not enjoying any of that research or not uh, benefiting from any of that research so we work with uh uh, on the agronomy side of things, you know, we, we receive a lot of research and data from University of Kentucky. Dr. David Williams is uh, kind of leading the charge over there with um, uh, Dr. Mundell and some others. And then here in Louisville, we work with, uh, we, we work with the Con Center, um, Con Center for Sustainable Energy. Uh, we're working with a researcher over there to, um, to work on some food applications for protein isolates, making hemp milk, uh, figuring out where we could find some other markets for our byproducts like the shells. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that they're an integral um, part uh, moving forward. They're going to be an integral part of our operation to figure out um, how we best leverage to find the most high value uh, markets for our products. Seems like a great little ecosystem for you to be working in. Yeah, here, it's right? amazing. Yeah, it really is. And uh, so, and then, you know, what is your favorite application of it so far? Like what, what are you, you know, when are you, how are you implementing it into your own diet or, you know, in your own culinary life? Like what, 
What's uh, your favorite use of it so far? Honestly, uh, so <laughs> so do you, you you're familiar with Laura's Lean Beef? Yeah. Okay. So Laura, so we um, we toll process for Laura. She grows um, she she grows hemp on her farm, and so we toll process um, the hemp into hemp hearts for her, and she puts it into these chocolates, these chocolate wafers. And I got a gal on the other side of town who makes nut butters. And so she makes this roasted hemp heart nut butter. We provide her the hemp hearts. And she blends it up with maple syrup and coconut oil and salt and what else? Vanilla powder. Oh, and man. so I just take I, I take the, the wafers and I dip them in the, the, <laughs> hemp, the hemp butter. It's oh, like, man. it is such a nice afternoon treat. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. Yeah, delicious. Yeah, it's always fun that, uh, you know, it, it also fills your own, you know, lifestyle. Um, you know, it's cool. You get to you get to eat it every day and That's taste it. That's and... it. Food. <laughs> food, man. Love food. <laughs> well, yeah. It's awesome, man. So glad you showed me around this whole space. And, um, you know, you're you're definitely got a lot of cool equipment going on and a, and a team that's working hard. So yeah, happy to, awesome. happy to share our story. I appreciate you coming out and shedding some uh, light on what we're doing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. And uh, I'll have to get it put in a beer sometime soon. That's, yeah, that's got to be the next step, right? Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to see that. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a second, please leave a review or share the show with a friend. Stay tuned for another episode coming your way soon as we work to make the show more of a weekly experience. Our lead editor is Rebecca Shenton, and our music was created by Ben Wank of Three Springs Fruit Farm. Till next time, this is Zach Kaiser, signing off. <laughs>